We are at Audio Lab in Garden City, and we want to thank our friends at Audio Lab for making it possible for us today to have a place to do something that I have, uh, well, dreamt about doing since about 1985 or so. Uh, <laughs> and we are uh, terrifically um, thankful to uh, have some time today with Suzanne Vega. Good, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to Boise. Thank you so much. Uh, and, uh, and, and hello, Jerry Leonard, who is sitting in with Suzanne today on guitar. Uh, first of all, um, it is uh, it is a pleasure in, indeed to have a moment to visit with you. Thank you. Uh, you know, um, all of us have these artists that made a, a huge impact on us um, at one point in our life or so, and you were clearly one of those for me, uh, going back to your very first record. Thank you. Um, but let's talk about your latest record because sure. I find it fascinating, not only just the subject matter, but... Um, what it involves in that new album uh, is called Lover Beloved Songs from an Evening with Carson McCullers this is a play that not only have you done the music for with Duncan Sheik but you've written it haven't you Yes, I've written uh, I've written the play. Yeah, several times. In several fact. times. When we were <laughs> still trying about for that. it. Yeah. Uh, the The latest uh, production will debut. Uh, did you say Valentine's Day next year? Valentine's Day of 2018 in Houston, Texas, at the Alley Theater. Well, well first of all, congratulations on that as Thank well. You. It's got to be exciting. Yeah. Is Carson has Carson McCullers been one of those people that had an impact on you um, when you were you know in college? Uh, yeah. And, um, I discovered her work before I was in college. Uh-huh. I was a teenager, I was probably 14, 15. Uh-huh. I was really into short stories one summer, and I read a short story called Sucker by someone named Carson McCullers. And I loved the story. It was the best story of the whole collection. I don't remember any other story right. in the collection. Um, and I always remembered the, the story, the language, the characters, and the name of the writer. And then a few years later... I saw an autobiography, not an an autobiography, a biography Uh of Carson McCullers and was shocked to realize she was female. Um, I had assumed it was written Uh, by a man named Carson McCullers who just happened to be very intuitive and perceptive about children. Um, And uh, when I saw her face, um, I don't know, I, I remembered it. And then years later when I was in college, I was taking an acting class and they gave us an assignment which was come in dressed as someone in the arts who is no longer alive and be ready to answer questions as though you were in an interview. And I remembered that photograph of Carson McCullers and I came in dressed as her and uh, that the root was, the seed was planted yeah. that day and uh, I've been working on it on and off ever since then. Yeah, that was my next question. I mean, yeah. how long had this project sort of um, grown with you uh, to well, get to I, where we're at now? Yeah, I did it. Uh, I did one a half an hour version as my senior thesis uh, when I graduated from Barnard College. Oh, okay. Uh, and some of the songs that are on this album were written back then. Wow. So there's two songs from this album that were written when I was 21. Wow. Um, way before the, my first album right. or my deal or anything. Um, so yeah, so I've been working on it on and off since then. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy with this current version of it. So I'm thinking this will be the final one. Well, I was going to ask you, um, writing music for a stage, in particular a play, uh, as opposed to, to writing songs that 
you know, you're going to put on a record, but you, you pretty much just answered that for me. You have already written two of the songs for this back then. So Yeah, um, I, it's not really that different, okay. especially for me, uh, because I often write in character. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that through most of my career. In fact, um, I don't usually write confessional material. I think I have one album that's considered confessional, and the rest of the time I'm pretending to be somebody else, which, <laughs> which suits me fine. Um, so... Yeah, so it wasn't that that far afield from what I normally do. And for our friends who are listening who are just hearing about this project, um, you worked with Duncan Sheik on this as well. Yeah, Duncan wrote the music. He's the composer for the music. I gave him direction from uh-huh. time to time. Um, and then, uh, we, yeah, so it was very collaborative. And Jerry, in fact, was part of that collaborative process also. I love the fact that um, it is something that brings together all these elements of things that you've done since you were younger um, and provides one place for them, you know. I'm really happy about that um, because, yeah, I had studied theater in college and so for me it's a return to a world that I was happy in and familiar with. Uh, The audience may not know that, but it's kind of a return to something I really love. We are visiting with Suzanne Vega. Uh, she played the Visual Arts Collective here uh, in Boise the other night, and, and we're having a chance to um, visit with her about not only the new project, uh, but some, some other interesting elements as well. So when you take the stage on Valentine's Day yeah. for this production, how long is this going to run, and is it something that people are going to have a chance to see in other cities? It's going to run t- about two hours okay. with an intermission. Okay. The first act takes place in 1941. Carson McCullers is 23 years old and has just had a huge hit with her bestseller, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Yeah. So she's kind of at the height of her fame and at the beginning of it also. The second act takes place in 1967, oh. which is a month or two before her death. Oh. Um, she is giving a, a talk in each act um, but she drinks a lot, and so she reveals a lot more than she intends to reveal uh, in pretty much both acts. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to take it other places yeah. after. I want to bring it to New York, and then after that, um, I hope it has a life like wh- wherever, wherever it will take her. You know, it you seems know. like there are community theaters and professional theater groups in cities like Boise and around the country that 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 this play is made for uh, that would well I designed it to be a very simple kind of production uh-huh. all you really need is an auditorium and right. a microphone a podium a chair um, it's it's supposed to take place at the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan so it's it's a very simple setup it can be as complicated or as simple as as right. you want but uh, my dream is that other I've seen a few other actresses do it while we've been uh-huh. in in production and I love it it's really fun to watch uh, the younger actresses you know take it yeah. on and uh, so my dream is that other women will do it mm-hmm. um, my dream is also that a transgender uh, actor actress uh-huh. would do it it would work either way male to female or female to male because she kind of walked that line I was between say, that's the very two much genders a part of who she was right in yeah uh, um, so that's, uh, that's my dream is that it's a, it's either a one person or a two person show, depending mm-hmm. on whether you have an older actress or actor okay. do the second act. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Let's, uh, let's hit the rewind button for just a little bit. Sure. Um, I want to, I want to go back uh, to some of your early days and I, I, 
I was fascinated by something I found off your website that sort of gave me the impression that Lou, seeing a Lou Reed concert was sort of a big moment for you in terms of deciding to find your voice and, and or, 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 uh, as an artist. Yeah, um, I saw Lou Reed in 1979. Um, I was in college, and I must say that uh, I, I didn't really go to many concerts back then. Okay. Um, I performed a lot. I, I had written about 100 songs by then, and I would go out and play at these coffee houses. But um, I'd never really seen a live show besides, I think, Billy Joel. Um, so, <laughs> so seeing Lou Reed in 1979 really transformed my whole world. Uh, I suddenly saw a, a way of writing that was just very different than anything I had experienced before. Um, and I, it, uh, I just pursued it and pursued it. And I saw him every time he performed live and bought his albums after that and eventually got to know him as a person. Nice. Yeah, uh, he's definitely uh, I, I, you know, you think of artists that are affiliated with New York City. I think of Lou Reed, but I also think of you yeah. as well. Uh, well, I'm from there. I mean, I lived there since I'm two and a half years old. Yeah. So I, I, I associate Lou Reed with New York also. Yeah. yeah. Um, New York City, uh, is that still a place that inspires your music and some of the characters that you sing about and write about? Yeah, I think so. I think it always will. Um, I've taken breaks from it mm -hmm. in terms of what I write about. Uh, there are times, there are some songs where I write about, say, the ocean. The, yeah. That's sort of the other place I write about. Or a kind of more fantastic uh, fantasy land, um, The Queen and the Soldier, and a few songs off of um, my previous album called uh, Tales from the Realm of the Queen of Pentacles. It uh, does not have a lot of New York in it. Um, <laughs> it's a more uh, sort of spiritual realm in that um, album. Yeah. Uh, well, we, uh, would it be possible to uh, have a song from the both of you? Yeah, yeah. Um, this song is called Crack in the Wall. And it's from that album that we were just talking about, Tales from the Realm of the Queen of Pentacles. And it talks about a kind of spiritual realm that lies right behind this material one um, and how it's a good idea not to hold on to those spiritual experiences too tightly. A crack appeared inside a wall, a door sprang up around it. So finely drawn, I could not believe I found it. A wildish wind blew it open wide. My childish mind followed on outside. And so I found myself among my heart's delights around. calling with field and forest cloud and sun cascades of salt water falling with heights and valleys dark ravines ivy thick and wild deep in thorny scenes and yet each thing did love its place in the lap of all of nature's sprawling 
so it goes And so, and so it goes things that just it's wow I'm just, I gotta take a second here because it is completely takes me back and at the same time uh, uh, in the here and now when did you start singing was that something you did at home yeah. okay. um, I am the oldest of uh, four okay and um, my parents were busy often and would tell me to go take the kids and do something with them. And that was one of the things I did with them was sang to okay. them to keep them amused and, you know, sing them to sleep, sing them whatever, uh, Christmas carols, mm -hmm. whatever I could do to keep them from getting into mischief. There's a quality to your voice that really resonates and it's a, to this day, I mean, so for those of us who heard it for the first time on the very first album, um, 
it sounds exactly as clear and the same today as it did then. Thank you. Uh, so let's just one. I'm having uh, one of those moments. Uh, Chris Farley <laughs> would have one. Sorry, not on it. So I got to be honest. With I know you exactly about what that. you're talking about. Yeah. Thank you. um, your catalog of songs, starting with the very first album, really is uh, an incredible um, uh, compilation of characters that that we have all come to know uh, some uh, uh, in, in, in ways that are deeply personal to each person who's heard a song that's affected them. I wonder if you've ever thought about what those characters are doing today. If you've ever thought about updating one of their stories or if that's something that you've already done and forgive me if I missed that. Um, but if you ever even just think about where, where would that person be now? Yeah. Um, I guess the most recent example of that is uh, on the last album, not this, not, not mm-hmm. the current one, but the previous one. Um, I have a song called Song of the Stoic, um, which is a, a, a story song written in a male perspective. It's a man who's looking back on his life, a man who's endured a lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse, mm-hmm. who's also been hard on himself. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, that is what the sequel to Luca might be. Ah, okay. um, it wasn't, I didn't write it intending it to be that, sure. but it struck me that uh, it could be... Um, it could be a follow-up yeah. song, yeah. in that way. Because uh, yeah, so some of the other uh, some of the others I, I don't think about. I don't think about Casper Hauser anymore. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, I sort of know what happened there. Um, so you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's hard to imagine. Uh, it's hard to imagine how pop radio would have sounded late '80s, early '90s without the success of your first record. I mean, I really do believe you were a trailblazer to making it possible for a different kind of pop music to get its due. I mean, there would not have been a little affair if you had not been able to release that first record. I mean, I really believe that because hmm. uh, of who was able to, to sort of... Um, you know, I've, I've probably never used a motor racing analogy before, but you know, like when you're out on the track and you sort of draft behind the person in front of you, I feel like <laughs> you made that happen for people like Sarah McLaughlin and Tracy Chapman and, wow. and the Indigo Girls. Um, do, do you think, uh, has anyone ever talked about possibly bringing back Lilith Fair and celebrating not only these artists who led the way, but provided uh, uh, inspiration for those that are still still in the draft, still following behind. Well, I think there was a... Uh, actually, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Lilith Fair. Right. There's been some articles in Glamour Magazine and a few others. Um, and I know that Sarah did have okay. an updated version a few years ago, which was not as successful okay. as the first one. And some of it was the economy. It just was the wrong moment to relaunch to that kind of... Uh, idea um but i just think it's a it's a an idea that never goes out of fashion right. you know i don't think sarah meant it as some sort of 1996 statement sure. you know to be trendy um she was she was making a, a statement f- for all time you right. know why can't women make music i mean uh, there's no reason why women should should not make music oh, um and be taken seriously in a group you know whether or not you, you know I think that um, you should. We should have it all the time. <laughs> it should not even be an issue. You right. know, it just should be like 
it, it should go without saying, but it doesn't. So we well, keep saying it over and over. That's a really good point. I feel I feel schooled uh, about that. Um, I think okay. because it was such a huge cultural thing at the time yeah. that it made uh, a, a big impact. Um, and I guess that's why people like me still bring it up. No, no, of course. And and it's being celebrated right now in yeah. the media again, which right. I think is great. I think um, it's, it's, people should, yeah. people should bring it up and remember it and um, celebrate it. So. so we're talking about looking forward to the uh, third uh, version of the play, which will be debuting on Valentine's Day. But you're also looking back a little bit because it's uh, there's two big milestones this year for two really important records for you. Yes, it's true. Uh, it's the 30th anniversary of the Solitude Standing album, and as it happens, the 25th anniversary of the 99.9 album. Yeah. So I think of Solitude Standing as the classic album and then 99.9 as the edgy experimental album which um so there's a nice wide range that we're going to cover we're doing some shows later this year where we do both albums in one evening and both albums are sonically different yeah Uh, i mean mitchell Froome had a distinct production style that was different from who you had worked with before so when those when you're doing those songs live are there elements of that still there or the arrangements sort of evolved over the years the arrangements have evolved over the years, but I think we're going to try and keep the sonic elements true. You know, I think that's part of the fun of redoing the yeah, album, right. uh, is is mixing the acoustic guitar with the technology yeah. of the day. So I think we're going to some length to actually get, um, you know, the, the sounds yeah. that of the, of the two albums. Excellent. Yeah. Um. That will be a fun show to see. And I believe website, your website will have details for where those shows are going to yeah. happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, Especially on Facebook. Um, right. They just seem to be pumping that out all the time oh, on my Facebook page. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing in management, but they are definitely <laughs> cranking those um, dates out there for everyone to see. Yeah. Excellent. We are visiting with Suzanne Vega, uh, talking about uh, albums new and old. Um, do you continue to write... Uh, not just plays, as we've been talking about, and not just music, but you put out a, a, a book, um, a, a, I'll say a few years ago, uh, The Passionate Eye, a uh, mm-hmm. collection of poems and other writings. Do you still Are you still doing that? Are you still writing uh, uh, non-prose? Yeah, I, I am. Um, I don't find it easy, so I'm very slow at it. And um, yeah, I'm taking a stab at some, some more prose writing. Mm-hmm. So I've... Probably between now and the next 10 years, right. all of something may come out, Do you know. Um, but uh, as I said, I like to take my time. I'm very meticulous, and uh, it, it doesn't just flow. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of a slow, a slow writer where that's concerned. Uh, have we regrouped for another song? Excellent. <laughs> uh, I want to th- uh, Jerry, it's nice to have you here as well today. So uh, thank you very much for for everything. Uh, and um, so this song will is something from Lover Beloved. Yes, this is called Harper Lee, oh. and Harper Lee, of course, was the great writer who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and To Kill a Mockingbird came out in 1959 or 1960. Um, Carson McCullers' book came out 20 years earlier, yeah. uh, covering similar ground. Right. Um, so when Harper Lee's book came out, Carson was um, 
you know, uh, you know, had a few jealous feelings about okay. all the attention and the acclaim that Harper Lee uh, received. But as it turns out, she's kind of a jealous person anyway. So this song covers the range of people and writers that she has feelings about, which range from Hemingway, Faulkner, uh, you know, Marcel Proust. Right. I mean, just about anybody who ever wrote anything, she had something to say about it. So the song covers it in some detail. <laughs> Virginia Woolf, she leaves me cold. I recognize the genius, but I'm twice as bold. I have more to say than Hemingway. Lord knows, compared to Faulkner, I say it in a better way. Graham Greene, he loves me. He loves my poetic sensibility. Catherine Ann Porter might be the best one now. But in about a year, I'm gonna show her how. Yes, I will. I said to Reeves the other day, Bruce really is the man who comforts me in a way no other writer can. The timeless quality of the work, the length is very long. Believe me, Marcel Proust goes on and on and on and on for seven volumes. Now Harper, Harper, Lee, 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 she only wrote that one book. I've written more than three. Darling Tennessee Williams, it's anybody's guess why streetcar made millions and wedding so much less. I will forever be pondering that one.
We're visiting with Susan and Vega. Um, I, I, I got to ask one question about uh, sure. a, a song in particular um, and what it was like the first time you heard the remix of Tom's Diner that you oh. didn't even know. Was I remember thing? it very clearly, yeah. What was your reaction? I laughed. Um, I thought, wow, that's great. And I was so relieved because <coughs> my manager had made a big fuss about it. And he's like, these boys have taken your song and they remixed it. And A&M Records is thinking of suing them. And um, I remember it. I was backstage at the Arsenio Hall show. Whoa. I was about to go on. To, so that was the year that was the year yeah. that was then. And uh, I was kind of nervous about hearing it. I was worried it was going to be a parody. Mm. Um, and instead, I heard it and I thought, this is a brilliant idea. I thought the timing was a little weird because I had another album that I was trying right. to promote. Um, but I thought, no, it's great. You know, they haven't changed the song. They still used my voice. Um, they just produced it in a very different way. So uh, it was my suggestion to buy it from them and release it as a single, thinking I thought it would be like an underground yeah. dance hit. Nope. And instead, it just went wildly, like top 10 everywhere. Right. Right. I think I got a plaque for having one of the most R&B, most played R&B yes. songs, which I was like, wow, I was um, That's perfect. very proud. Um, well, I, you know, I, I have to take issue with the description of the song being, um, uh, uh, what did it say? Where is it? just read it and I, I was like no because those of us who loved the album Solitude Standing it was mm -hmm. not this obscure Suzanne Vega song it was like how we were introduced to that album and how that album closed uh, Tom's Diner right yeah right. Tom's Diner right so I just thought that was uh, that was a little wild um, well, it was and uh, it continues to live on um, yeah. I was thinking of it as a kind of a uh, a uh, a monologue, uh -huh. you know, like a right. dramatic monologue. Right. You know, I had been into theater class and I was thinking of dramatic monologues. So this is, I was trying to draw a portrait of a sort of alienated character having breakfast at a diner. Um, did, I had no idea that it would was going to be remixed into this huge hit. Yeah. But the guys who did it, DNA, said the rhythm was already in the song and yeah. if they hadn't done it, someone else would have. So I always appreciated that. Well, uh, it is one that uh, we we play. Uh, I would imagine we play that song every day, every other day. Uh, <laughs> it's it, you know, it's part of the Suzanne Vega uh, library that we have at Great. the station. Um, I wanna I wanna thank you again uh, for taking time out of your schedule today to visit with us uh, for you and Jerry to sit down and play. It's been a, a real pleasure. I know for those of us at the radio station, we've all been here for a long time, uh, and uh, you know you're important important part of what we do and what the station has represented so thank you very much to both of you well it's such a pleasure to be here yeah. thank you very much and, uh, and a happy birthday once again oh thanks <laughs> i feel very welcomed thank you